With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Did you ever warrant the arrest for the murder of William Law, who was the gas station attendant? But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice. A crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ruff. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up episode for Season 7, Episode 14. And this episode I titled The Other Star Witness because even though Danny Martinez was touted by the state in the press as being the star witness because he was the one that said 100% that's him, as you heard in the closing arguments, uh, and if you go on our website and read the closing arguments, Tina Griffin seemed to make a lot more use out of Carlos Luna even than Danny Martinez. And I think that was mostly because of the fact that he actually identified Jamie the first and only time he had the opportunity to do so. But as we dug further through into that case and we heard about the the memo that came out later and the affidavit that Carlos Luna wrote later, we find that his eyewitness identification to me was really nothing more than a guess. So we're going to get into all of that and your questions right after the short break. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Ford Ranger, a vehicle for all terrains and every passion. It's a workmate, a playmate, and to its drivers, a soulmate. So how do you improve the Ford Ranger? You go all in. The all-new Ford Ranger, the UK's best-selling pickup. Now available with rear bumper steps, tailgate workbench, and enlarged load box that can fit a Euro pallet. Go break it in. Search all-new Ford Ranger. Ford Pro, driving productivity. According to SMMT data, features may be optional extras with additional cost. Alrighty, so I am joined today, of course, by Mike Bussing. Hey, Bob. And Mr. Zach Weaver. Hey, guys. And before we get into the questions, and I know this is covered in some of the questions, but the first thing that I want to talk about, especially with Zach, not that your opinion is not important, Mike, but this is a theory Zach's been working on. Okay. But I want to know what your thoughts were, Zach, on my theory of the two-person attack based on the fact that the differences between Luna and Martinez's testimonies and, and, and what they witnessed. And that, by the way... I came up with that as I was writing, as I'm going through the, all the different evidence and, and the different witness statements, 
And that's what I was thinking. Like maybe it, they didn't see the same guy. Mm-hmm. And so since you've had a two person theory, what did you think about that? Yeah, I, I think, you know, it's still a little far fetched, but I think it could line up. It could line up why their witness statements don't line up mm-hmm. exactly being that it's two different perps. Right. And that could also kind of alleviate some of the problems we have in the timeline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. So if the first perp leaves with the cash, that can be when Bill hits the silent alarm. Mm-hmm. The second perp has no idea that he's hit the silent alarm. Right. And then you have, you know, what is it? Five minutes is what we decided. Yeah. That could be the exchange of going to the car, the other suspect coming back. Mm-hmm. So maybe there isn't somebody standing around for five minutes. Right. Well, what got me, what really got me thinking along that was the police lights and sirens and ambulance. Mm-hmm. That's what, when I was, when I was reading through his statements and his testimony, I thought, wait a minute, the police lights and the the sirens and the ambulance all happened when Martinez was seeing this happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pilo shut down a ways and then walked up, but Williams pulled right up to the scene. There's a police car right there, and he's pulling right in, and within seconds, they're up at the door. Then they're calling for rescue, and then it's a few minutes later that the ambulance gets there and whatnot. And so when Luna says he looks out, doesn't see Martinez's car, which we think, well, maybe he looked past him and didn't see him, is mm-hmm. what I've always assumed, because they both described someone similar. But then when you take into effect that he didn't see Martinez or Martinez's car, he didn't see Officer Williams pulling up, which which was happening, according to Martinez and, and Pilo and Williams, the man walking out of the store was happening as Pilo is across the street and Williams is pulling up. So... Luna would have seen all that stuff mm-hmm. at the same time when, when this was when this was happening. And since he, he didn't see Williams, he didn't see any lights, sirens, police cars, ambulance, any of that. I think that, that it makes a lot more sense exactly what you just said. That so five minutes before Bill's killed, about the time the silent alarm is pressed, Bill gets robbed, the man leaves. Martinez isn't there yet. Williams mm-hmm. isn't there yet. Pilo isn't there yet. Nobody, you know, you still got two, three minutes before they get on the scene. That guy leaves. They go turn around, start watching TV. Then Martinez pulls in. Or, or well, actually, the order would have to be, I guess, the second perp goes in. Mm-hmm. Martinez pulls in and starts putting air in his tire. And then that guy shoots him. Martinez looks up. The guy walks out. Meanwhile, Luna and his, his nephew or cousin, it's written different ways, are sitting there still watching TV. Then... Pilo arrives and Williams arrives and there's lights and the ambulances are coming. Then they look back out the second time and see all that happening. I do think that alleviates some of the the problem we've had with the timeline mm-hmm. and asking why the perp would stay around for so long. Right. If he, maybe he really didn't stay around that long. Right. But with the two people, there's that changeover that the second suspect comes in without anybody realizing it mm-hmm. and shoots him and leaves. Right. And it, it also, by the way, that changes our profile dramatically mm-hmm. because our profile was based on the fact that the same person was in there when Gutierrez was in there at 8.05. They were still in there at 8.16 when the the drawers open and the silent alarms pressed, stays in there for five minutes after he has it and then kills him. That, it's because of that last five minutes that myself and Jim Clemente profiled this as someone with a personal vendetta against bill there's no reason for someone if robbery is their motive Mm -hmm. to stay there for five minutes but if we have two different unsubs that's a complete to me that's a completely different profile yeah that that could be anyone and i think it's something worth getting back in touch with jim clemente again and seeing 
what he thinks about that. Because to me, now that that then starts to speak towards someone who is more criminally experienced and more of a violent past and tendencies. If you're talking about a second person after the robbery that goes in with the sole intent and purpose of shooting and killing Bill because he witnessed mm-hmm. something, that to me is someone that does have a violent criminal history, someone who is very experienced, uh, criminally sophisticated. So uh, I'm, I'm curious to see what Jim will have to say about that. But if that's what actually happened, that does really flip our profile on its head. Yeah, it's something interesting to think about for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, and there's more things that seemed little, you know, we're talking, they both said dark colored coat and ball cap. But when you really look at the details, what Luna's saying, he says the guy's wearing a trench coat down to his ankles. Whereas Martinez says it was, you know, is, is, of course, we know the evolutions of his story. But at the beginning, he's saying, no, it's a light spring brown colored jacket. Mm -hmm. Very. Now, that's not they both saw him wearing a dark coat. Those are two very, very, very different things. You know, Luna says he sees something like he's holding something even from 200 feet away, which I thought can't really see that. But I guess if someone's holding something like a cash register, cash drawer, could you see that from 220 feet away? That mm-hmm. Maybe not know that it's a cash drawer, but you can tell he's holding something. Yeah. And I always had a problem with the fact that Martinez says his hands are in his pockets. Mm-hmm. And remember, we theorize, well, maybe he's he's got it up under his coat and that's why his hands are in his pockets. But to me, it makes more sense if that guy's hands are in his pockets because he's got a gun in his hand and he comes out with a gun in his hand in the pocket. And there's just a whole lot that makes me think there may have been two different sightings there. And then that brings in Jerry Gutierrez as well. You know, he's saying the guy's wearing a leather coat. The Luna boys are saying like a trench coat. Mm-hmm. Those two, I think that that's still possible. That could be the same guy mm-hmm. that was in there for 10 minutes for Rada. But as we've learned before, there's a lot of reasons why someone might Stay, stick around in the store before they rob it. You know, I think, Mike, you brought up, you know, they could be casing the store, waiting till no one's around. Yeah. You know, so it, it does. It, it's really it's really got me thinking uh, over the weekend and throughout this week after I um, researched and put that edit, uh, episode out that, you know, we may be looking at something completely different than we originally thought. And that's if we believe that both the Luna Boys and Martinez did, in fact, see people leaving the store. You know, keep in mind, too, there's other differences. Luna says the guy leaves and he opens the door with his left hand. Mm-hmm. Martinez says he backs out of the store. You know, there's a lot of differences like that that really, I think, lean into the idea that there might be two different people. I still have a hard time. I made mention of this early in the season with the Luna boys sighting. It's, that's a long way to see something. And to be able right. to say, yeah, he opened it with his left hand. Stuff like, I mean, that's a long way in the dark. I don't have a problem with the left hand thing. When you when you look into how he made the identification, what he said at trial, and his affidavit, I believe him for the most part. And, and the fact, so so he he meets with Sanders, who testified later that the Jamie's trial didn't hear from, who says that you know he talked to him and they were they told him we can't really make I can't tell you I can tell you about how tall the guy was. I can tell you about his body shape, but I can't describe any kind of features, which is probably exactly what you'd expect from that distance. Yeah, that's what I would expect. Yeah, but you can see a person. Yeah, you, you can, can see what they're wearing. And, and and if you think back and do, you know, if you do a cognitive interview with somebody and you think back, okay, what did you see? The doors opening and, and it's a recent enough time that you can think back and, okay, what hand was he opening the door with? They were asking him that because they wanted to look for fingerprints. Or how do they open the door? And he can say, okay, now you can kind of replay that in your mind. Okay, I guess he pushed 
you, you can figure out, I think, at that distance, okay, it was the left hand that he, that he opened the door with. You know, if you're, if you're replaying that in your mind very recent to the time it happened, I think it's possible. I'm not, not saying it's accurate, but it's possible. But to describe somebody then, and then look at somebody in a, in a police lineup and say, yeah, it's him, that, I don't think that's possible. Well, I'm glad you brought up the whole two unsub theory, Bob, because we've got a question here related to that from Brian. He says, going on the possibility of there being two unsubs, with the timing being so crucial, do you think if killing Bill was the only reason for them to go back in the store, they would have shot him from a different angle or distance? No, I don't think so because of the layout of the store. And keep in mind, angle, we don't know the angle. You know, We know the angle those, the shots went in, mm-hmm. and so you want to think based on where Bill would be standing at the counter and where the unsub would be standing, but you got to remember the dynamics here. So he could have walked in at an angle towards the counter, but you know, you had the the cash register, all the cigarettes and stuff. So Bill's kind of protected back there. You have to get in front of the counter to even get a shot at him. Mm-hmm. But then Bill can turn his body before the shot comes. Yeah, and a defensive reaction too. You know, a lot of times if you're going to be hit, you know, and obviously not everybody's been shot at, but mm-hmm. just somebody going to hit you, even jokingly, you kind of do that like half turn. Mm-hmm. That could be that same thing where he could be face to face with the subject. And as the subject pulls a gun, then he kind of does that defensive turn, mm-hmm. which makes that entry angle. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, I don't think it makes any difference as far as the angle or the distance. Again, you know, that it's just such close quarters. As you walk in the store, Bill's behind all that stuff. The only way you can get to him is a stand in front of the counter, at which point you have another counter and shelves two feet behind you. So you can't get any further away and you can't get much closer because of the counter. So I don't I don't think it makes a difference. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me and you know what they were doing? They're also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, Christina says... Regarding ineffective assistance of counsel, can they also cite the difference in the hours that they stated in their original discussion with the judge of how much time they had to communicate with Jamie? She says, we know that the hours were grossly misstated. How can they be considered effective and up to speed on the info of the case if they didn't even spend 24 hours with their client? So that's, and this this may overlap with a lot of the other questions coming just from what I saw looking through that page. There have been a lot of things addressed in Jamie's post-conviction work. So his direct appeals and then his, uh, his post-conviction relief a petition a few years back. And that was one of the things, if I understand correctly, uh, one of the things that was brought up. And essentially the judge ruled that when he said that to the judge that, oh, it's been 80 hours. And then they were able to prove that it wasn't 80 hours. Basically, the judge blew it off and said, well... 
you know, it's an honest mistake. He could be confusing this with that or whatever, and it just wasn't a big deal. And in a quick read through of the post conviction rulings up to this point, it's funny the the judges ruling on Jamie's appeals have ruled in the exact opposite manner as to how Tina Griffin presented the argument for his conviction to the to the jury in their closing arguments. And this is what I mean by that. I read part of that for you guys uh, during the episode, and if you've gone on the website, you can read the whole thing. And essentially, she's saying, "Look, there's no one piece of this evidence that convicts Jamie Snow." What you have to do is look at all of the evidence, every individual little piece, and give every piece its own weight and then let it all fit together to equal the conviction, right? So it, it, she, she, she's saying every piece is critically important. Don't ignore Luna just because all these details are wrong because you can't, if you ignore Luna, then you end up having to ignore Martinez and if you were, you know, you know, so on and so forth, all these things that don't fit. So she's arguing that every individual piece is critical and necessary to fit together to equal guilty beyond a reasonable doubt because it's a it's not it's not a clear cut case by any stretch of the imagination. Cut to uh, Jamie's post conviction pleadings, so they're finding all these things out right. And some of the stuff that we've talked about has already been appealed to the higher court. Some of it is new since then that we've discovered. But he'll present things like here is. The ineffective assistance of counsel, for example, that's been presented to the court and they blew it off. It's too small. It wouldn't because of what they're looking at. You have to show them that whether it's a Brady violation, ineffective assistance of counsel or whatever it is, it has to, number one, exist, provably exist. And number two, you have to prove that it would have had a change in the outcome of the trial. It would have affected the outcome of the trial. So they're saying, for example, say a witness comes forward and we're going to get into a lot of these witnesses. Uh, we're starting that process this week, actually, that testified against Jamie. So here's a witness that came and told the jury, Jamie Snow confessed to me, which was part of Tina Griffin's argument and the state's argument that why he got convicted. You know, she says, do you should you convict him just on this person's testimony? No. But if you take his testimony with the testimony of these other people, now it's powerful. It's all important. So then say that person and this has happened on multiple occasions comes forward recants their testimony, writes an affidavit, and explains why they recanted, and says, I lied on the stand. Well, that's a due process violation. And that, and then oftentimes that's also prosecutorial misconduct, depending on how they got there. And then the court's ruling, that wouldn't, uh, this is kind of in lame, the way I understand it, the court's saying that wouldn't have affected the outcome of the trial. Because that's just one witness and there was 15 witnesses. Okay, well, here's two, three, four, five of these people now that are recanting. And they're looking at each one on its own weight, saying, well, if this person recants, you still get a conviction because you've got 14 other people. And if this person recants, you still have 14 other people. Kind of like, it feels like they're not looking at, no, no, no. Now that's two, and you got 13 left. And now there's three, you've got 12 left. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, they're looking at each one as an individual, and it's just like the ineffective assistance of counsel. Well, sure, he said that he did 80 hours, but he actually only did much less than that. But that could be an honest mistake. And I don't think that's going to change the outcome of the trial because Jamie had 15 witnesses that said he confessed. Yeah. You know, but, and it's almost like they only think, yeah, but if he was, if he was competent, he would have been able to impeach those witnesses. Some of them, he might have even been able to stop them from even testifying. And by the way, of those 15 witnesses, X number of them have recanted. 
you know, so it's like the, it's crumbling apart, but the, it seems like the higher courts are looking at each individual little piece. So where Jamie's appeals are at right now, and I think I mentioned last week, I want to, once we finish going through the state's case here, I want to get Tara Thompson to come on and talk about like, what's the plan going forward? I'll tell you my plan going forward. What I'm doing is going after each element of the state's case. Some of the elements may prove to be true. You know, you may find somebody that says something and there's no way to prove one way or the other whether that was true or not. But so far, every string we pull on starts to unravel the case. You know, every every little thing, you know, so it's like the star witness, Danny Martinez. You look real close at him. His testimony's useless. Okay, let's look at the other eyewitness, Carlos Luna. You start pulling that string and it comes apart. And that that testimony's useless. What we're going to get into over the next couple of weeks are some of the the jailhouse informants to kind of give you a head up a heads up. This week I had to kind of shift gears, but I think we still got a good episode for some jailhouse informants that that flipped, and also it's really a really good insight into how the state was operating because I did have lined up one of the people that did testify against Jamie that has since recanted, has agreed to sit down and do an interview with me. I was oh, that's gonna, excellent. Yeah, and I was going to do it over the phone yesterday, and then he called me yesterday and said I would I would be more comfortable doing this in person. So I'm hitting the, hitting the road early next week to go drive to interview this man so we can hear from him not only what he testified to, why he's recanting, but also why he testified that way to begin with. But so we're we're just taking each and and so for me you know we're trying to we're trying to do something actionable here, you know we're not just telling a story, and so the only way to do that based on what I'm reading from the other rulings is to take since since they're gonna they're only gonna look at at the whole case as a whole basically if there's any stone left unturned they're gonna not overturn his conviction mm-hmm. they're gonna say well sure you have twelve of these witnesses. You know, you can prove that we're wrong, but there's still three that could be right. So we're going to keep the conviction. So we're going to go piece by piece, every element of the state's case, and we're going to start pulling on those strings and see if it unravels or if it gets stronger. And so far, everything seems to be unraveling. All right. And Darlene says, has Jamie exhausted all of his appeals for ineffective assistance of counsel? Also, has he appealed due to the Brady violations that you mentioned? It seems so clear that he didn't get a fair trial. So I'm curious what potential relief he might have. So he he hasn't exhausted all of his appeals. Any time for for a habeas claim, you have new and compelling evidence you can refile for you know claiming actual innocence. The memo that I read today was not included in his post conviction relief hearing prior to this. So so there's no court that has in any way heard that there's a memo out there. Where it's made very clear that the Luna, the Luna identification is worthless and should not have been included. I can't speak for his attorneys, for Tara Thompson or any of his attorneys, but I have to imagine that that is going to be used in a subsequent appeal. All right. Mrs. Ramadal Mid says, what does it take to prove ineffective counsel after the fact? She says, I wonder if defense attorneys ever take responsibility and admit major errors or bias or laziness to help give convicted individuals a new trial or be exonerated altogether. Since Pitzel was charged with serious offenses, would he be willing to go to bat for Jamie now? Also, was Pitzel a court-appointed lawyer or one Jamie paid for? Either way, he had too much going on in his personal life to do the best job he could to defend Jamie. Well, for starters, let me answer, which 
I saw. I don't know if you have it, but it was another question on that thread. Was is Frank Pizzle still alive? Yes, he is still alive. Regarding, I mean, there was a whole lot there, but uh, my understanding is that obviously ineffective assistance of counsel was claimed and denied by the appeals court. It, Jamie's running into all these time barred issues, same as as, as Anand Syed ran into. So, for those of you familiar with the serial case, our season one, Anand Syed, his conviction was overturned based on cell phone evidence, the the failure to cross-examine the cell phone expert, and I don't know if they, if they considered the Brady violation with that. But anyway, it was overturned. The state appealed it. The, the higher court upheld the fact that it was overturned. And then the next highest court overturned that ruling and basically reinstated his conviction because it was a time-barred issue, because you're not allowed to argue the same thing over and over again, and you have a time limit. And so what happened with Adnan's case was when he first filed his post-conviction relief, his habeas, there was this one bite at the apple, so to speak, and uh, I think it was 2010, his post-conviction attorney did not raise that issue. And, and it wasn't, it's not new evidence, because that was the case back then. So his attorney didn't raise that issue when he filed his, his post-conviction work. And this wasn't new information. The, the information was always there. They just hadn't realized it. You know, they hadn't, they hadn't kind of pieced together the argument before Justin Brown then, you know, later, of course, made the argument. So the higher court says, even though it's a winning issue to overturn your conviction, you're not allowed to argue it because it wasn't brought up in your first claim. So what's happened with Jamie is he files in his direct appeal, which is the one right after the trial, he filed ineffective assistance of counsel. Part of that claim was the fact that Frank Pitzel had an alcohol problem, a gambling problem. He was distracted along with the hours and all that. And the, the appellate court denied that petition. Well, then four or five years later, Pitzel is arrested, as we mentioned, for, for stealing money from the elderly client. He admits that he has been suffering for years from alcoholism and a gambling problem and all these things, and it's affected his decision-making and how he operates. So then in post-conviction work, Jamie then claims, look, now this case is stronger. This is not just me saying he was drunk. He's been convicted of these actions, and he has admitted, and it's a much stronger argument. It's an argument that very likely would have won in his direct appeal but the court ruled you can't argue it because you already argued it in your direct appeal. Which, by the way, is why sometimes people will get frustrated. I know in Adon's case, some people are like, why aren't we testing DNA? Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we doing this? And it makes sense when you look at that because Justin Brown has said, and it's the same thing with what we're seeing with Jamie, is we only get one shot at this. So if like, say we have like a little bit of DNA evidence, but there's other testing we could do. But if we try to file a claim based on this DNA evidence and we get denied, then when we try to, maybe you do different testing, get more information, they could say, no, 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 you already, te you already appealed based on that evidence. So it's, it's waiting, and, and that's what bit Jamie in the ass is, with ineffective assistance of counsel is he already claimed IAC and was denied, didn't have all the information. Years later, he gets all the information. Now he's finally got a strong case, but he can't argue it because he already did argue it. And I do believe one of her other parts, she asked if he was a public defender or not. And I, I believe he was a public defender and not to defend Pitzel at all, you know, because obviously his actions weren't what he got. Uh -huh. But a lot of times public defenders have a huge caseload. Always. That people do not always. realize they get a really bad rap for being a bad defense attorney, but they don't understand. You know, people don't understand how much 
work they are on these guys. They're, most most public defenders are some of the greatest lawyers out there, I think, based on their dedication to the profession because they're taking on so much. And so sometimes I, I have to be careful because I've had several seasons ago one time I was like, well, he had this public defender that wasn't capable of doing the job. And a lot of public defenders that listen to this podcast were like, hey, why are you shitting on us? Like mm-hmm. we're, you know, we're working for way less money trying to help more people. And, and I was misunderstood. I wasn't shitting on them. I wasn't saying they're bad attorneys, but it's exactly what you just said. I don't want a public defender when I go to trial, not because I doubt their abilities. It's because I doubt their resources. Mm-hmm. You know, so you have this public defender who has a caseload of 500 cases that they're trying to get through. They're literally like an assembly line, just trying to get everybody to plead out so that they can drop their caseload, getting paid pennies, and, and the state's not allowing them to hire expert witnesses and things like that. I don't want that. Neither do you. Mm-hmm. Nobody does. As opposed to if you hire a private defense attorney and they've got 10 cases on their docket because they're making you know, tens and hundreds of thousands of dollars for these cases, and they're focusing and putting the work in for, for your individual case, and that ends up being the problem. But yeah, you are correct. Frank Pitzel was a public defender. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Every year, one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts for up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. It's like your own personal post office. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Speaking of public defenders, Katie wants to know, how much, if any say, do defendants with public defenders get in regards to who their public defenders are? A little, but not much. Meaning usually from my understanding, and it's probably very state to state and even county to county, but I've seen cases where people have been appointed a public defender and then, you know, they don't have any choice in who they appoint to them. But if they have a legitimate grievance and problem with that public defender, they can then file a motion to the judge requesting a different lawyer. Very rarely from what I've seen in my limited experience, have I seen that actually be granted. But it's an option. But you have to make it. You can't just say, I don't like him. I want a different lawyer. You've got to show some egregious reason why the two of you can't work together. You know, he even stated at the first meeting he was impressed with him. Right. I don't want to say it was a crapshoot with him, but at the beginning he was impressed with him. So he thought he had a good lawyer. Mm -hmm. All right. Karen says, Carlos Luna writes an affidavit saying Jamie was not the person, but was similar and is not sure he identified the right person. I mean, with that type of description, then it could have been any of the guys in the lineup, right? Is it me or are these eyewitnesses falling to the wayside? I think they are. And that comes back to what I was saying earlier about, you know, pulling at the strings to see what comes unraveled. Because, I mean, it it seems to me if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to help Jamie Snow and get him out of there and find the person that killed Bill Little and get some justice for Bill and put that person in there, that seems to be the only way we're going to accomplish that is to literally attack every single element of the case. And I don't just mean attack, I mean prove. 
every single element. We're going to have to work together. Me, Mike, Zach, all of you that are listening are going to have to work together to prove to the higher courts in every element of this case that Jamie Snow did not kill Bill Little. Evans says, was Jamie's trial really 90 minutes long? He said that in comparison to the lawyer's trial lasting three days. It seems like he must have been referencing something else. No, he was talking about the sentencing hearing, not the trial. So after, after he was convicted, there was a 90-minute hearing for Jamie for them to decide to sentence him to life. And then Pitzel's, there was, yeah, I think, I think it was three days, and there was all kinds of testimony. So like that, the stuff that I was reading to you, on the episode where he was saying that he's been battling alcoholism and this and that, that was, that was during his sentencing hearing where he was pleading with the jury to, to not get, cause he could have got more time than he got to try to limit the sentence, but no, not the trial. It was the sentencing. Mandy says, Hey, just listen to episode 14 and something Jamie said had me thinking. He said something along the lines of the Luna boys wouldn't have been able to see the suspect leaving because Martinez would have been in their way. I'm wondering if because of the way our brains fill in blanks, if the boys could see that the door was closing, actually saw Martinez walking back to his car, and then either consciously or subconsciously assumed that he had left the store. No, I don't think so. I thought I read that and I thought about it, but the thing is, if you go back and read the Luna's statements, they're very clear and detailed about the things they should be detailed about, which is where the man went, right? So we talked about you're not going to be able to give a good detailed facial description but they described the man as walking along. Even says he walked walked so far until he hit the sidewalk, and then he got to the fence and he headed north. And then I couldn't see him anymore after he turned the corner because he was out of the lights and there was a house on the way. So I, I don't think you can confuse somebody walking along the front of the store and going north with someone walking south back out to their car and then driving away. So no, I don't think so. Uh, and speaking of which, I, I do want to go through and kind of do a, reconstru- a deconstruction of. The testimonies about where they walked, you know, I've looked in general, they said they walked around the store and went north. When we're assuming they're talking about the same person, you don't pay too much attention to the exact details of it. Mm -hmm. But I need to look at a map and read what they were saying because it sounds different to me. It sounded to me, I don't remember who, which one's which yet, but I want to, I want to think it was Martinez that made it sound like they didn't just turn at the front of the store, but walked all the way then across that still bit of parking lot to the fence. And then went north, whereas the Luna boys, I think, said they just went around the store and headed straight north along the building. And so those, those are two different paths of travel. You know, mm-hmm. and, and, and in a grander sense, they're both going north to the alley. But uh, but if you look at the at the meta of that, they're they're in two different spots, two different paths of travel. Isabel says, has production started on the West Memphis Three TV series on Oxygen? Is there an estimated timeline for the premiere? Yeah, so production's done. I mean, we've literally filmed the entire thing, edited the entire thing, cut it, sent it to them, back and forth. It's a long process for anybody that works on TV knows. But in beginning of August, sometime in August, end of August, we turned in the final, final, final cut of the TV show. Completely edited, done, color corrected, all that stuff. So Oxygen now has it. So it's up to them when they air it. I do not have a premiere date yet. It should be soon. So they told us in July that they wanted to air it in October. But then we we had to recut some things because they changed the format of how they're going to put it out um, as far as the length of the show. 
And so that pushed us back. So instead of getting it to them in July, we didn't get it to them until the end of August. And so obviously we're in middle of October now. It's not going to be October. But based on that, I would assume that it's, it's going to be soon. You know, I, w- I would say they're probably going to be a month or at least a couple of weeks of previews and trailers and stuff for it before it comes out. But I would look for it. Well, I want to say I would look for it the late fall, early winter, but I, I don't know because it also depends on their time slot availability, right? So they're looking for a hole where they can put this show. The people at auction told us they love it and they can't wait to get it out, but they, they still have to have a space to put it out in. So I'll, I will definitely keep you posted. All right. And our last question comes from Christina Kaiser. Are you making any Bob and Weave merch? And do I get a T for coming up with the name? I'm so glad that Christina Kaiser commented on this thread because in the first episode of Bob and Weave, which we've already recorded, by the way, it's not out yet. And I think this and the show last week, I was like, a listener came up with his name, but I, it, her comment was lost in a sea of a thousand comments. Mm-hmm. I lost it. So I was glad she did this. Um, so the person that came up with the title of our new podcast is Christina Kaiser, uh, and it's going to be titled Bob and Weave. And as far as the merch question, I don't know. We first have to see if anyone's going to listen. True. If there are people listening, for sure, we'll make some merch. Uh, and Christina, you'll get a you'll get a shirt and a hat, and and Zach will sign it for you. Hell yeah, I will. But as far as the actual show, give you guys some updates. So Zach and I sat down last week and recorded episode one of Bob and Weave. It was intended to be an introduction, who we are, why we're doing this, and then start our first topic. Uh, who we are and why we're doing this went on for 45 minutes and Zach had to leave. So episode one is just that, which I, I, I think it's really good. Mike, you got to edit it. What do you think? I liked it, man. And I, I think that the format allows for you guys to pretty much talk about whatever you want. So I don't think there's any harm in not getting to what you wanted to talk about. Yeah, I think so too. And I think it was a good move pulling the plug. Mm-hmm. But yet today we're going to record episode two. One B. Yeah. I was wondering if we should do that. Like episode one A and then one B or just make it episode two. <laughs> But we're going to record the second episode, which will be covering the topic that we plan to, to cover. And then uh, we are – so as of right – we need a lot of things before we can in place before we can actually publish. One was artwork, which Zach completed today. Uh, so we now have – a and, and we'll, we'll go ahead and post that for you guys so you can see it. But we have artwork that Zach made. So we have a logo. We have an episode. And pretty much the last thing we need to get things rolling is music. And that's what we're working on right now. We're working with, of course, the wonderful Shane Yoder from PutThemInASong.com. You're the man, Shane. Yep, you are the man, Shane. And uh, we had a conference call with him this morning, and we're working on getting the music right. It's a little tricky, you know, because it's we don't, I don't know enough about music to tell him what I'm looking for. Don't really know what I'm looking for, so he's kind of swinging from the hip. And uh, But I think we had a good meeting today. So as soon as we had the music together, long story short, the intention was to launch this this coming Wednesday. I don't know if we're going to get there or not because there's some timing issues too. Because once we have the music and all that and we get the episode cut together, we have to publish it. And then it takes a couple of days to connect it to iTunes and Spotify and all those places. So hopefully this w- coming Wednesday, Bob and we will premiere. If not, it will, it will be the next Wednesday for sure. But we're still, I think that's a plan, right? We're still shooting for Wednesday. That sounds good to me. Okay. So. Bob and Weave should premiere hopefully this Wednesday, maybe next Wednesday. And as for Truth and Justice, make sure you tune in on Sunday. And I think that is all we have for our Friday follow-up. That's it. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, guys. Yep. Thanks, everybody. And we'll talk to you all next week. 
Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday Fall logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design. And all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, ad-free versions of all of our episodes, Truth and Justice Army t-shirts and hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. You can also help us out by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website. Just click on the Case Submissions button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at bobruftruth. And you can also connect with Mike, at mbussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram, at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. <laughs> What's up, man? You're killing me. What the what fuck happened? is your? He's been laughing his off the whole time I'm trying to talk. He's, he's got the. Did you see me hold it together though? For you, did you see me hold that together? I was together? trying not to even look at you. What happened? <laughs> I don't know. Do I have a booger hanging out of my nose? No, I don't even know what happened. I just got giggling and I couldn't yeah. stop. And then it was like the more that I tried to make it stop, the more it was like, oh no, here it comes. <laughs> That'll be fun for the video people. Like, yeah, cut I don't together. even know what. Watching me stone face serious speaking and you dying over there. And then you guys will see what a professional I am that I held that together during that. That was good. That was good. That was good. Thank I, you. No, it was one of those where it was like I giggled about something yeah. and then I knew I couldn't do it. So then it made me like giggle harder than I couldn't. Right? Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, the giggles. Here, here we go again. Yeah. Then I was like, please, please be stunned talking so I can <laughs> get this out. <laughs>